Hanukkah is, uh, which is fine um, uh, because <clears throat> it can be, uh, well, it's kind of hard to find out some information on it. It's not, uh, it is in your Bible. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but it's in the New Testament. Uh, it is something that the Jewish people celebrate. Think of it more like a, a national holiday, not necessarily a biblical one, but a national holiday, kind of like the 4th of July, um, where they're celebrating <clears throat> the rededication of their temple. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's always uh, the candles. Now, <clears throat> uh, or you'll see a little menorah. You've seen the menorahs. And a lot of times the Jewish people will light these in their window. So does that sound familiar of seeing that, maybe even in a movie or, or whatever? Well, this one is different than the regular menorah. A regular menorah has basically seven candles on it. It has one in the center and then six on each side. The one in the center is called the servant or the shamash candle. Um, the... This one that's used is really called a Hanukkah because it has the one in the middle and then it has four on each side, making it eight because they celebrate this uh, for eight days. Does that make sense? And so uh, tonight uh, we're really on the seventh day. So what I'm going to do <clears throat> is uh, I'm going to light this and you've got one of these at each table. You've got one of these as well. Uh, typically what you'll do is you'll pull the servant candle. That one's the one that you light, like with a lighter match or whatever. And then you'll take that servant candle and use it to light the other candles and recite certain prayers and things each time you're lighting one of the candles. <clears throat> I wanted to spend the time tonight talking about Hanukkah, what it means, what it represents, and, uh, and even more importantly, the prophetic significance of it because it is actually very, very important. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to light this one and light this middle one and show you how I'm, uh, or how I'm going to light these and then ask you to do the same at your table. Uh, and Zach's going to help me go around each table and light the middle servant candle. So since we can't pull it off, that's why we have the other little one. Does that make sense? Make sense? So I'm just going to use a, a lighter. I'll light this candle, and I'm going to light that one. Zach, you coming? And then he's going to go around and light the middle candle, and then just somebody at your table, if you'll just light basically all but one. Did your little light go out? Ow! Ow! It was his arm? Oh, is that what it was? Oh, gosh, that's a long story, y'all. He, th he actually thinks he's getting old. I'm like, dude, you don't have a clue yet. Yeah. Yeah, he just thinks he's old. He don't have a clue yet. Don't worry, Zach. It gets worse. <clears throat> yeah, pretty much. And just basically light all but one of them. <clears throat> and 
And then kind of once we get those lit, maybe I can get Matt or somebody to kind of turn out some of these lights so we can have these lights here in the middle. I'm cheating. I've got my Bible on my iPad so I can actually read it in the dark. <clears throat> and I don't have notes for you tonight. Uh, I just kind of wanted you to listen. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, what I want to do is I'm going to read basically some of the story of Hanukkah, the events that happened. Um, if you have like a New Jerusalem Bible, it's, it's like an old, that's, if you haven't heard of it, it's like an old Catholic Bible. Actually, it's got some of the apocryphal books in there. One of those books is 1 Maccabees. Anybody here ever hear of that? Okay. <clears throat> that's where the story of Hanukkah is. And it actually happens between the Testaments. It happens at about 150 B.C., before Christ. Or they like to call it now B.C.E., before the Common Era. Yeah. Everybody's offended about something. <clears throat> so uh, that's when this takes place. And so that you can understand the background uh, and uh, the meaning uh, behind this, um, <clears throat> what I want you to understand is that the, this is right after the collapse, if you will, or right after uh, Alexander the Great dies. He has his generals. They become, if you will, kings of four. I'll say four. It's really more than that, but four kingdoms. One of them, his name was Antiochus. And uh, one little funny thing was that he, he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which basically means God manifest, to have like an epiphany, to be made manifest. So he's really calling himself God. But one little funny side note is that the Jews acted like they couldn't pronounce Epiphanes. And so they would call him Antiochus Epimenes, which in the Hebrew would mean Antiochus the madman. And so uh, that kind of stuff's been going on a long time. Anyways, <clears throat> so that you can understand uh, what happened, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, um, the Maccabees. Anybody here of the Maccabees? The Macca and it's called the Maccabean Revolt, where you're going to find out what the deal is. So listen to this. This is in 1 Maccabees chapter 1, and it's verses 41 through 50. And by the way, even before I get started, if you don't have this book and you'd like to get it, you can get it cheap. Like, how, how does a dollar sound? You can get a Kindle version of First and Second Maccabees for a dollar. <laughs> uh, there's a few other versions that are Kindle versions that are, you know, I don't know, two or three dollars. Uh, so, I mean, if you want to get it in a digital form, you're afraid you're going to spend a lot of money on a book, you're not going to read much, you can buy it for a dollar and read it. It's, it's pretty informative. <clears throat> Anyways, this is 1 Maccabees chapter 1. It's verses uh, 41 through 15. It says, Then the king, the king then issued a proclamation to his whole kingdom that all to become a single people, each nation renouncing its particular customs. All the Gentiles conformed to the king's decree. And many Israelites chose to accept his religion. 
sacrificing to idols and profaning the Sabbath. The king also sent edicts by messenger to Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, directing them to adopt customs foreign to the country, banning burnt offerings, sacrifices, libations from the sanctuary, profaning the Sabbaths and the feast, defiling the sanctuary and everything holy, building altars, shrines, and temples for idols, sacrificing pigs and unclean beasts, leaving their sons uncircumcised, and prostituting themselves to all kinds of impurity and abomination, so that they should forget the law and revoke all observance of it. Anyone not obeying the king's command was put to death. Now, I'm going to leave that there for now, but the Maccabees even describes how they did it. It was horrendous. Uh, if they caught you circumcising your children, if they caught you with a Torah scroll, if they caught you keeping the Sabbath, if they caught you <clears throat> only trying to eat clean foods prescribed by the Bible, they killed you in some of the most horrible ways. It was, it was horrible what they did. Uh, and they came in and they pillaged the, uh, the temple. Uh, they set up an altar on top of God's altar. They sacrificed pigs on it. Um, they literally <clears throat> set up altars and little miniature temples and stuff in every town throughout Israel. And they went around there on a regular basis, monthly, forcing them to offer sacrifices to these other gods. Um, they did that, watch this, on the 25th of every month. They did that on, on the 25th of every month. <clears throat> Why? Because they were trying to get them to worship their gods. And they were trying to get them to forsake their heritage. And what's the saddest part about this whole story is that one of the reasons why the king was able to do this and do this as quickly and as proficiently as he did was because there was a large number of Israelites that basically said, look, they're the, they're the big powerhouse in the world. We're going to be rich. Everybody's going to be fine. Let's just do it. What, you know, what difference is going to make? And so a lot of the Jews went and did it with them. Um, it's, it was incredible uh, what all they did. Um, so uh, to the point of building gymnasiums and, and a lot of other things that went along with that, you can use your imagination. Uh, what they wanted to do is they wanted to have, watch this, a one-world government. They wanted a one-world language. They wanted one-world culture, one-world religion. They literally say that, that that's what they were after. But there was these pesky Jews that just wouldn't bend the knee to it, except there were a lot that did. So then when you jump to chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it says, Then Mattathias, or Matthew, uh, is, would be the English version of that, son of John, son of Simeon, a priest. So Mattathias was a priest of the line of Jorab. He leaves Jerusalem, and he settles in this little town called Modin. He had five sons. John was known as Gadai. Simon, called 
Thassi, Judas called Maccabeus. So the whole, if you ever heard Maccabean revolt or first, second Maccabees, the word Maccabee means the hammer. It was his nickname. It's one of his sons. Judas called Maccabeus. Eleazar called Avaram and Jonathan called Aphus. When he saw the blasphemies being committed in Judah and Jerusalem, he said, Alas, that I should have been born to witness the ruin of my people and the ruin of the holy city and to sit by while she is delivered over to her enemies and the sanctuary into the hand of foreigners. So he's there in Jerusalem and he sees this and this is what he's saying. And he had these five sons. And he leaves Jerusalem and he goes to this town. He's like, I'm out of here. I can't stand to see this. Folks, it would be the equivalent of us seeing the White House in Washington, D.C. overran uh, by foreigners and turned into whatever. Uh, and it, you know, I don't know about you, but that would break my heart because it represents our, our nation, right? I got a few. <laughs> I'm just saying. And so that's how they were feeling, but it's, it also was connected to their religion, their faith, and their God. So then when you get to verse 15 of First Maccabees chapter 2, it says, The king's commissioners who were enforcing the apostasy came to the town of Modin. So he had emissaries and stuff that went around making sure everybody was doing what the king had said needed to happen in every single town, everywhere. Uh, For the sacrifices, many Israelites gathered round them, but Mattathias and his sons drew apart. The king's commissioners then addressed Mattathias as follows. You're a respected leader, a great man in this town. You have sons and brothers to support you. Be the first to step forward and conform to the king's decree, as all the nations have done, and the leaders of Judah and the survivors of Jerusalem. You and your sons shall be reckoned among the friends of the king. You and your sons will be honored with gold and silver and many presents. Raising his voice, Mattathias retorted, Even if every nation living in the king's domains obeys him, each forsaking its ancestral religion to conform to his decrees, I, my sons, and my brothers will still follow the covenant of our ancestors. May heaven preserve us from forsaking the law and its observances. As for the king's orders... We will not follow them. We shall not swerve from our religion either to the right or to the left. As he finished speaking, watch this, a Jew came forward in the sight of all to offer the sacrifice on the altar in Modin as the royal edict required. When Mattathias saw this, He was fired with zeal, stirred to the depth of his being. He gave vent to his legitimate anger, threw himself on the man, and slaughtered him on the altar. At the same time, he killed the king's commissioner 
who was there to enforce the sacrifice, and tore down the altar. In his zeal for the law, he acted as Phineas had against Zimri, son of Salu. Then Mattathias went through the town, shouting at the top of his voice, Let everyone who has any zeal for the law and takes his stand on the covenant come out and follow me. Then he fled with his sons into the hills, leaving all their possessions behind in the town. Those of you that have been here for a while remember when we were going through Exodus and Balaam, the sin of Balaam, and uh, he convinced uh, Amalek to send their daughters in to entice the men of Israel to worship these other gods, to perform all kinds of other lewd acts. And they were doing it. And one of them, and Moses tried to call them out and get it to stop. And one of them came out inside of everybody and said, I'll show you what, what I think about this with one of the women. And this Phineas, who was a priest, was filled with anger and went and slew both of them at the same time. That's what it's referring to here in Maccabee, 1 Maccabees that this is what Mattathias did. So what happened was this, and this is what you need to understand was Antiochus Epiphanes and the army that he had. Um, anybody here ever watch any of the Lord of the Rings movies? Uh, the uh, Battle of the Five Armies, the last one. Remember how they came out with the elephants as, uh, what was Frodo's friend's name? Yeah, Samwise Gamgee, when he said, Frodo, look, them there be elephants. <laughs> uh, that's what Antiochus had, the same type of thing. They had 100,000 foot soldiers, chariots, horsemen. They had catapults. They had machinery, basically, that could launch multiple huge arrows, they had elephants geared for battle, not unlike what was in that movie, with wooden uh, things on top of them. They were covered like with armor and stuff, and they were trained for war. And they would have three men on top doing just like in that movie. They would have one that was the driver or the worker of the elephant. They were like the tanks of that day. They meant business. These are the people that Mattathias goes, we ain't doing it. I don't care who you are. I don't care how big your army is. I don't care how tough you are. Not doing it. And so then when this happens, he throws the gauntlet down. He sees this Jude come up. He's going to do it. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill everybody here. This is, this is crazy. We're not doing this. And so on the heels of that, he leaves. Well, what happens is they start a guerrilla warfare. And watch this. They start winning. God starts blessing them. They start winning a lot. More and more people start following them. They keep killing off Antiochus' army. One group that were zealous, just like Mattathias, went and hid. But it was on the Sabbath. Antiochus heard about it. He'd sent his army. They, it was on the Sabbath. They said, please come out and just 
assimilate. They said, we won't do it. But they also wouldn't fight because it was the Sabbath. And they said, please come out. We really don't want to do this. They said, we're not going to do it. We'd rather die in here than than, uh, assimilate. So Antiochus sent his army in there and they slaughtered every single one of them, men, women, and children. That report comes back to Mattathias. And he basically says, listen, we're making a ruling. We're not going to be like them. We are going to honor the Sabbath. But if they come and attack us on the Sabbath, the Scripture says, you know, it, you have to survive uh, for the sake of life or whatever. The, the rule kind of goes by the wayside. Uh, like if the ox is in the ditch and you're, it's your friends and it's a Sabbath, you're supposed to go get it out. I'm elaborating on what he was saying, but he said, we're not going to do that lest we all die. And, and so if we're attacked on the Sabbath, we're making a ruling that it's okay to fight. So they, they continue on. <clears throat> and then watch this. They win. They actually win and kick them out of Jerusalem. You seen pictures of Jerusalem? Y'all have been there recently? You've got the old city of Jerusalem, and then right down below that is called the city of David. And in the city of David, they built basically a fort. They called it a citadel. And the people they put in there to do battle for them, not Mattathias, Antiochus, were renegade Jews. Yeah. And they fortified them so that they could fight their own people. Mattathias, they win. They kind of dealt with the citadel, but they, it's, it was kind of like the war in 67 in Israel. And they basically captured the old city. <clears throat> they capture uh, the temple area and then cleanse it. So this is what I want to read to you out of 1 Maccabees. Now we're in chapter 4. I've really skipped forward a lot. It says, they took unhewn stones as the law prescribed and built a new altar on the lines of the old one. They restored the holy place and the interior of the dwelling and purified the courts. They made new sacred vessels and brought the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table into the temple. They burned incense on the altar and lit the lamps on the lampstand. And these shone inside the temple. They placed the loaves on the table and hung the curtains and completed all the tasks that they had undertaken. On the 25th of the ninth month of Kislev, which on the Jewish calendar, that's what this month is. In the year 148, they rose at dawn and offered a lawful sacrifice on the new altar of burnt offering which they had made. The altar was dedicated to the sounds of hymns, zithers, lyres, and cymbals. At the same time of year and on the same day on which the Gentiles had originally profaned it, on the 25th of Kislev is when that uh, abomination went up on the altar and they profaned the altar by offering up sacrifices of pigs on it, basically to the god of Zeus, and Baal. Um, The whole people fell prostrate in adoration and then praised heaven who had granted them success. For eight days they celebrated the dedication of the altar, joyfully offering burnt offerings, communion, and thanksgiving sacrifices. 
They ornamented the, uh, the front of the temple with crowns and bosses of gold, renovated the gates and the storerooms, providing the ladder with doors. There was no end to the rejoicing among the people since the disgrace inflicted by the Gentiles had been effaced. Judas with his brothers. By this time, Mattathias has died, and now Judas is the one leading it. And he got that nickname as the hammer because of some of the stuff they did. Some of the stuff that you'll read in the, in the Maccabees, it's really amazing. And you kind of, if you, I'm a movie guy, so one of them, uh, they had one of the elephants uh, basically in uh, royal trappings around it. They thought the king was on it. So one of the guys from the Maccabean revolt literally ran through all of these armies. You have to read the description of the armies. It's like, what? And he was just killing people left and right, just kind of splitting them as he's running through there. He runs underneath the elephant and kills it from underneath, and the elephant falls on him and kills him instantaneously. That's the kind of stuff that was happening and the kind of battles they were fighting, and, and they won. But now it's, it's Judas, and that's why it's called the Maccabean Revolt. They were called the Hammers, if you will. So in verse, verse 59, it says, Judas with his brothers and the whole assembly of Israel, they made this a law that the days of the dedication of the altar should be celebrated yearly at the proper season for eight days beginning on the 25th of the month of Kislev with rejoicing and gladness. Folks, that's the background and the story to Hanukkah. What's really sad is, okay, so we've got the lights uh, because they, they lit up the temple and they wanted to do it for eight days. So now I'm going to give you my opinion on something. I'll tell you what, before I do that, let me, so let, let me read this to you out of the New Testament. So if you're wondering about, because uh, this is the only place you can find the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah means dedication. It doesn't mean lights. It's been, become known as the Festival of Lights, but it's the, fe- it's the feast, if you will, or celebration of rededicating the temple. As I'm talking about this, maybe we should be thinking about rededicating our hearts to who we are, who God's calling us to be, what He's calling us to do to get our hearts pure, re- to purify our hearts from any of the sin and abomination and junk that's crept in, to get right with God and do things God's way. Um, so here it is. It's found in John, the book of John, chapter 10. By the way, we'll start that towards the end of this month, John. I'm looking forward to going through that with you. And it's found, it starts in verse 22. And this is what it says, John chapter 10, verse 22. It was the time of the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple, walking up and down in the portico of Solomon. The Jews gathered around Him and said, How much longer are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us openly. Jesus replied, I have told you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name are my witness. But you do not believe because you are no sheep of mine. The sheep that belong to me listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never be lost and no one will ever steal them from my hand. The Father, for what he has given me is greater than anyone and no one can steal anything from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. 
So here we have an event in the life of Christ when he's in Jerusalem, obviously celebrating Hanukkah. Why wouldn't he? It had been 150 years. They had celebrated it every year for 150 years, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's like, like I said, the 4th of July, but it has some absolutely fascinating significance, watch this, for us today. Why would I say that? Well, for starters, you should already know that a lot of people and a lot of the strife in the world today is over two types of people in the world. One are those that want to be globalists and want a one-world government, one-world religion, one-world economic system, one-world army to stop all war. Then there's those other pesky people like me that doesn't believe in that. And I do believe in nationalism, but I believe in God, and I know where that's headed. Uh, It's trying to get us back to the Tower of Babel event and on and on, and it has other implications. So then let me say this. The book of Daniel talks about this abomination of desolation, right? And there's a lot of theologians and a lot of historians and stuff or whatever, basically theologians that'll say, Daniel's prophecy about the abomination of desolation was fulfilled with Antiochus Epiphanes because, I mean, it follows it pretty much to the T, to the letter, that there was this abomination that was put on the altar. It brought all this desolation. People killed all kinds of horrible things. Uh, And then there was this uh, restoration. And Daniel said that that would happen. However, there's a few minor details that didn't get fulfilled. Jesus himself refers to that event that is still yet to come. So we believe that Jesus is God, right? Can he be wrong? So then he tells us to watch for something, to be aware of something and watch for it. Well, okay, so in the global climate we're in, uh, what is everybody after? A one-world government, a one-world religion. At least everybody just kind of be okay with anything and everything, which also is an intellectual oxymoron. You can't, that doesn't work. (laughs) But, uh, and it also says in Scripture that at this end of time, God's going to send a spirit of delusion where people will believe a lie, that a lie becomes a truth and the truth becomes a lie. Black is white, white is black, in is out, out is in. I mean, we don't even know if we're male or female or what anymore. I mean, it just goes on and on, right? I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's just so messed up. And you're like, am I living in, I don't know, a fantasy land or something? Anybody else feel like that other than me? Well, there's a reason, and I'm going to tell you, I think God's already poured out the spirit of delusion. It also says that at the end of time, many will be offended or fall away. Everybody's offended by everything. People are offended uh, by Peanuts characters. Snoopy. You know, I'm like, what? It's like, and so it just goes on and on, right? Um, because everybody's offended and falling away and kind of losing our minds. Well, watch this, because this is what Jesus said that we're to look for. I want to point out one thing that obviously didn't happen, two things really. So Jesus, and this is found in Matthew 24, 
And he said, so when you see the appalling abomination, this is out of the, once again, I, I pulled all these quotes out of the New Jerusalem Bible just to keep it consistent. But like in the ESV, it says, when you see the abomination of desolation. Some of it will say the abomination that causes desolation. So Jesus is telling us to still look for it. So he said, when you see the, abomina the appalling abomination of which the prophet Daniel spoke. So he's referring to the prophecy that was given to Daniel. We've talked about this before, but Yeshua was the one that gave it to him. Right? Because he and the Father are one. So he knows this was given to Daniel. This was, that was some special stuff. We studied that. And he's like, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, watch what he says. Then those, in, in you, those of you in Judea must escape to the mountains. What did Mattathias do? When he said, no, we're not doing it, he leaves Modin to the mountains. He flees to the hills, leaves everything behind. He doesn't go back and get his possessions. He goes straight to the mountains. Once again, there's nothing in your Bible that's there by accident. Nothing. And God has done all this to paint pictures so we'll know what to expect. He goes, if, uh, if anyone is on his housetop, he must not go down to collect his belongings from the house, which is exactly what Matthias and his sons did. If anyone is in the fields, he must not turn back to fetch his cloak. As for those with child or with babies at breast, when those days come, he's like, you know, I hope that's not your situation. Then look what he says. Pray that you will not have to make your escape in winter or the Sabbath. Both of those two things are connected to the Maccabean revolt. They're huge. Every Jew, especially when Jesus is speaking this, knows exactly what he's talking about because they're not confused on Hanukkah. It's part of their, it's their 4th of July. They get it. You're supposed to barbecue be out in the backyard, eat watermelon. You say 4th of July, is your mouth already watering again? <laughs> you know, uh, and so for them, Hanukkah, that's what this is about. <clears throat> uh, he says, and then he says this, he says, for then there will be great distress, unparalleled since the world began and such as will never be again. So he's saying when that happens, it'll be worse than anything that has ever happened, and there will never be anything that'll happen worse than that. I think it's pretty safe to say that the Holocaust and killing 6 million Jews plus the others was worse than what they experienced because they didn't have people thrown into ovens and 6 million of them die over a whatever it was, four or five-year period. Uh, <clears throat> that World War II and all the wars we've seen were a lot worse than what they were experiencing. And he says that, this, that what has it going to happen then is, is worse than anything. And then he says, and if that time had not been shortened, the one to come, he says no human being would survive. But shortened that time shall be. We know that, in other words, it says, but God shortens the days for the sake of those who are elect. So it's going to be so bad 
But God says, but for my people, I will shorten those days and not let it go out as long as it could so that some will survive. So folks, Hanukkah actually has a lot of prophetic significance for you and I. Jesus himself said, this is, this is what you need to be looking for. What happened at Hanukkah will happen again. There's going to be somebody, we studied this in Revelation, there's going to be somebody that's going to try to set up a one world government. They're going to try to set up a one world religion, one world economic system. He's going to try to get everybody to assimilate and worship him and his God, if you will, the way he wants it done. But what's interesting, and we studied this, that there's a lot of people on the earth that actually go, no, not going to do that because we see where he's distracted by these other wars and things. So Hanukkah is actually pretty significant for us. Isn't it a shame and sad that most of us, I'm 62, I'm still figuring it out. Uh, we've only tried to celebrate Hanukkah now three times, you know, and the first time was real weird. Like, oh, we're going to light a candle and they got these prayers. And, and I don't believe in being rabbinical. So sometimes I'd read those things and I'm like, well, God didn't really command us to light the candles. So I'm not going to say that he did. Um, and so we, you know, I fight that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Uh, but we were like, but yeah, but it, but it is important because Jesus is the light of the world, right? Uh, and the fascinating thing, when you realize that he was really probably born during tabernacles, that it was probably during the festival of dedication when he was conceived. Matter of fact, he had to have been if he was born during tabernacles, which tabernacles make sense because when it says he came and dwelt among us, the word there is tabernacle. And the men weren't out in the field at night watching over their flock because it was winter. <laughs> they didn't have the sheep out in the field. They had them in like mine are right now. They're, they're in uh, trying to get out of, out of the cold. Uh, so anyways, <clears throat> my thoughts for, for us was this. During this season, and as you look at the lights there on the table, to think about how that Jesus is the light of the world, we're to you know, let our light shine, not put it, not hide it. Um, we're to let it shine so that people can see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And maybe to even think of it as in terms of rededication. Maybe even for us as a fellowship. Maybe for you as an individual, but even for us as a fellowship. Um, I'm going to take just one second to say this. Uh, I want to make sure that all of us here know and that we can continue to explain this as we go along into the future. Why are we here? What are we really doing and why? I have a real desire to explain the deep truths of the Scriptures for what the Scriptures say, even if that goes against our traditions. I want to know what the Bible says and what God expects. I don't care what the church fathers say. I don't care what the denominational leaders say. I'm not even that concerned about what the commentators 
say? What does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? And what are we supposed to be doing and looking for? I want to be able to share that with people as they come through the door and also for them to not feel threatened. Because I know it's scary, right? You tell people, did you know the Old Testament still applies to your life? What? Y'all are legal. Is this a cult? Where's the Kool-Aid? I don't want people to feel that, right? And I want them to understand that uh, this is what it says, and that's not going to get you saved or even keep you saved or anything, but it is what Jesus said, and we've been listening to all these other things. We've got all these other traditions that don't line up with Scripture, and quite honestly, because we've what? We've assimilated into culture, and we've even let the culture put so much pressure on us, we cave in. And go, you know, you know, hey, it's okay <laughs> when, it's, when it's not. So I want us to be a place where people can come and learn the Scriptures and not feel intimidated. And watch this. Judged. Anybody that comes through that door should never feel like we're judging them. And that's not easy. When you're trying to say, well, yeah, but the Sabbath is, Saturday really is the right Sabbath. It's not Sunday. The Catholic Church changed it. I mean, go Google it. I mean, it, that's not even a secret. Christian teachers, preachers, we all say it all the time. Well, yeah, we changed it, but God's okay with that. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but when you're trying to explain this truth and maybe they're not doing it, then they feel judged when we're trying not to. I think we need to go overboard trying to make sure they, hey, it's okay. Figure it out. I mean, we're here. This is what we're learning. Nobody's doing this perfect. That's why we need grace. Amen? That's why we need grace. But uh, we want to make sure that people can come through the door and feel comfortable. I'm not saying we water down the gospel. We water down the scripture. But, you know, we, go, we, we should uh, work real hard at making sure they understand what we're doing. And then watch this. <clears throat> It's, has it been fun this last year going through the Torah portions and learning all these truths? I've really enjoyed it. It's been really cool. It's been hard for me because it's big chunks of passages, and I'm like this, you know, expository preacher. Like, man, that's a lot of text. Uh, but it's been good, and it's been fun. We've learned a lot of things. You know what one problem is with us as we come into this, and you understand this, and you're like, oh, there's so much more in the Bible. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you get this zeal for knowledge. Want to learn more, want to learn more, want to learn more, want to learn more. And all that's fine. But in that process, if we forget about Yeshua, Jesus, man, we've missed the boat. If we forget that we are called here to bring glory to His name, live our lives in a way to glorify our King, and Yeshua is the only way for salvation, we're going to miss the boat. When I first understood that the Torah was still applicable to our lives, I'm going to tell you, I had great fear and trembling, and here's one reason why. Because that is one of the pitfalls of people like us that go, it still applies, that all of a sudden you go over here and you get in the deep weeds and you fall off the cliff. And you become a legalist. Some call it a Torah terrorist. Because you're always like, this is right, this is right, this is right. How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? And it happens. Why? Because we're, in a, we're like, yeah, but that's what it says. And you get real excited 
because it's something new. And you ought to be 62 years old and go, wow. Uh, and so it, it can become exciting. But if we forget that we're here to glorify our king, and if we're only here to get more knowledge, then what are we doing? Right? And so I hope that in the, in the future days, we can think about this and maybe even think about this night as maybe a, a, a I don't want to say a correction point, but maybe just a refocus, a clarification, rededication of our hearts, uh, that we want to make sure that as we're teaching these truths, we don't lose sight of the track or let's lose sight of the fact that we want to point people to, to Christ, to the Messiah. You don't get saved through knowledge. You know the verse I was that saved me is found in the book of James 2:19. It says, "You believe that God is one. There is one God, the Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." James is telling his people, he says, "You believe that God is one, and you do well." But the demons also believe that and shudder. When I heard that, I was 14 years old. I was at a youth camp in Oklahoma. And when, the, when they started singing, I could not get out of my chair fast enough. And watch this. I was raised in the church. I knew who Jesus was. I knew the stories. And I ran down there and grabbed Don Blackley, our youth minister and music minister. And I said, Don, I don't even know what I need to do, but I just found out that my faith is no different than the devil's. I need someone to talk to me because I'm headed straight to hell. And they took me in another room, counseled with some lady. I have no idea who she was. I asked Christ to be my Savior, and my life has never been the same since. Since. The demons know who God is. They know who Yeshua is. People know about Jesus. Heathens in a few days, what is today? The eighth. Heathens in a few days will be celebrating Christmas. People that you know are not walking with God will be singing Christmas songs on the 25th or the 24th or whatever, right? You're like, really? <laughs> and you were doing what, what, what? And anyway, because we're talking about famous people, you know, and they're out there, you know, singing about Jesus in some place or whatever. And we're like, okay, <clears throat> the people know about Jesus. That doesn't mean anything. If you don't know him personally, you're not walking with him. It doesn't matter what you know up here. Does that make sense? And so I just want to make sure that as we continue to move forward, that we're dedicated to that and that everybody here understands where my heart is in this and that what we're trying to accomplish here. I want to teach people the truth, uh, but I also want to make sure they know that they can come here and it's safe. And if they come in and they, they're like, I thought Sunday was the Sabbath. I, I, you know, on and on and on. We go, well, no, Saturday's the Sabbath. And they don't know really how to keep it. That all of us here will go, no problem. It's okay. God will show you. And you'll figure it out and you'll work it out and God will show you. Are we okay with that? Because I don't know any other way to operate. I'm not doing it perfect. 
So I have no room to point a finger. <laughs> I'm barely figuring out Hanukkah for crying out loud. Uh, so we have no room to point a finger. And so what if maybe we're not keeping the Sabbath perfect or we're not, I don't know, doing this or that perfect or whatever. But what if all these other areas in our lives are just as messed up? You can keep the Sabbath perfect and still have a horrible home life and not be a good husband or a good wife or a good son or daughter or brother or sister. Does that make you better? Because, well, you're keeping the Sabbath, meaning you ain't doing any yard work, but you're still acting like a jerk. <laughs> See what I'm saying? And so we get so caught up in these peripherals, and uh, I just want to make sure we don't go there. That's what I'm getting at. For us to rededicate our lives and remember, Jesus is the only reason why we're here. His light shining in us and changing us is the only we have. We can't brag about anything other than Christ and Him crucified. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. That doesn't mean spit if you're not walking with Him. Is that good? And that, and that you know, this will be a safe place. Um, so here it is, it's Hanukkah. And uh, I hope that you're, if you've been trying to celebrate it, great. If you've never done it before, it's pretty simple. They light the candles. Now, I want to give you my opinion, and then we'll close with this. So everybody that talks about Hanukkah, especially the, the Jewish people and everything, that it's the festival of lights, and watch this, it's about the oil in the lamp that lasted for eight days when there was only enough for one day. You remember, everybody hear that before? You'll read it. Did you hear me say that when I was reading the account? You know why? Because it ain't in there. It's not in there. As a matter of fact, it didn't even become prominent, uh, that story, till I think around three or 400 A.D. Now, so these people obviously were very zealous for God and His law, Right? And they were willing to, to sacrifice their lives to not go against what God said. And then they won this incredible victory. And then they cleaned out the temple. They even said, look, that altar had all that other junk on it. They made them do it the 25th of every month in every town and in the temple there in Jerusalem. Forced them to. They went in there and said, we're not even going to use that, that altar. They tore it down, took it out of town, and disposed of it. Cleansed the place, started over, made new stuff. Brought it in there to celebrate. And it's now winter. By the time they get all that done, and then have their first, if you will, sacrifice and offering and celebration before God, it's now the 25th of Kislev when that happens, which was the same day a year prior when they desecrated the place. Okay? So, <clears throat> uh, so it's winter. Those of you that have been here a while and you kind of know the feast, which one was the one they just missed? Tabernacles. Tabernacles is the most celebratory uh, feast of all of the seven feasts given to us in the Bible. And it lasts for how long? Eight days. And the last day is a great, glorious... Yeah, I mean, they're really supposed to dance and sing and celebrate. That's the one they just missed. 
Yeah. Cool, cool, right? When you go, oh. And so they made it a rule and said, we're going to celebrate this, but we're going to celebrate it for eight days. Because they celebrated for about eight days of rededicating the temple. And every day they were just rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing. And so then things grew and the stories grew. And then all of a sudden it's about the oil and the lamp, and there was oil. You know, they were trying to do all these things, but they only found enough oil for one day, but it really lasted for eight days. And that's kind of neat. It's a neat story. It's not in the Bible. But here's the problem with making up a story like that. What happens? That becomes the story and the reason for the celebration. So we're going to celebrate the, fe- the Feast of Lights, the Dedication of lights. Why? Because there was the oil. And you know what the number one food is that they eat during this time? And the Jewish people are like, by the time it's over, they're like, oh, Lord, I got a, uh, it's donuts. And watch this, any kind of oily food, fried foods, jellies, jelly-filled donuts, that's the big one. There's all these jelly-filled donuts and stuff, and they say, it's really good the first day, the second day, but after eight days, you know, of eating a lot of this stuff, you're like, please, just give me a turkey sandwich or, or something, you know, something salty other than that. And so to this day now, the big emphasis on this holiday is the lamps and the oil and the light. Isn't that sad? When the real story and the real miracle isn't that the oil was there and that it lasted. The real miracle was one guy in a podunk town says, I don't care if you're the biggest, baddest superpower in the world. I'm going to say it in Texan. I ain't doing it. Even if my fellow Jews do it, I ain't doing it. And they offered him gold. They offered to make him a friend of the king, most powerful person in the world at that time, especially in that area, with an army like that. And he goes, he's going to give you pretty much all you want. He's basically saying gold, silver, land, titles. What do you want? You're a leader here? Come on, man. What's the big deal? We're going to kill a pig and eat it. It's just going to be a barbecue, for crying out loud. Let's just go on. And Mattathias goes, I am not doing it. And then they start a revolt by God. And we didn't take the time to read it, but he's like, look, our God that did all this stuff, parted the Red Sea, delivered Goliath. It goes on and on and on with all these things that God did. And he was like, do not fear. If our God is with us, we will succeed. And they keep rallying around him. And there's one battle that they had and killed tens of thousands of these Assyrians, basically. And it says they didn't lose one man. They all came back. Folks, the miracle is following God even when your own countrymen say, let's just 
I mean, why do we have to make a big deal? It's just, this is the way we do it, man. It's going to be fine. And after all, they're in power. And if we do this, hey, we can make some money. We can, you know, let's just ride on the coattails. Does that sound any like familiar at all? Let's just, let's don't buck the system. Let's just go along. And then this group of people in the middle of some little podunk town go, no. So what it says to me is that if God lays that on your heart to stand up for him, he'll be there with you. He'll be there with us. Here we are in Roy City, Texas. Growing, by the way, but, you know, and here we're, we're doing this and trying to teach this. I don't know anybody else doing that. And you go, why? Well, God's revealed it to us because he called us Four Winds Church. And he said he would call his people out and cause the four winds to blow on us and bring us back. So here we are. And just trying to teach the truth of Scripture. And then um, it might go against what tradition says. But that's okay. That's okay. Um, so that's what Hanukkah is really about. It's about rededicating the temple. People rededicating their hearts to God and being willing to risk everything to do that. So that's what I want us to try to do. And just want you to think about it. I'm glad you came. I hope you had a great time tonight. A little bit different, but uh, I hope you'll be blessed.